You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Hey, we're launching a new series this month, and I am so excited as we're going to be launching this series as we head into uh, May, and we're starting today, uh, Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, and I'm so excited to unpack this with you. You see, uh, Jesus teaches us eight attitudes to open ourselves up to a blessed life, and there's different positions that some individuals take on this. I've often heard that some people believe that we inherit these attitudes when we uh, come into know Christ. Through our salvation, we inherit these attitudes. Some individuals believe that we can never obtain them, but they're only for uh, heavenward. But here's what I know. Uh, When Jesus teaches us something, he often teaches us a principle that we are to grow in our lives through the uh, planting seed of of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the watering of ongoing devotionals and prayer and worship and the inward working of the Holy Spirit. As God begins to instill things in our life, he often teaches us a principle that he has asked us to grow in. And so that's kind of how we're viewing these eight attitudes, these eight attitudes that Jesus taught the surrounding people and his disciples in a famous sermon called Sermon on the Mount. Right before he got into that, he he began to teach eight attitudes to posture ourselves in such a manner, to open ourselves up in such a manner, not only to receive these different attitudes that we receive upon salvation, but to grow in them. I don't know about you, but I've never read a, a Bible verse where Jesus says, do this and you will have arrived. Do this and and it will be complete. It will be done. You have arrived. You can just kind of check out. It's my understanding as we read this scripture, it's self-evident that Jesus is talking about us growing in these attitudes. I think we would all admit that Jesus desires us to grow. Evidence of something being healthy is that it grows. All it takes for us right now in this season is to look around. And I love this season because it means that life is coming forth. I love looking around and seeing growth. green begin to to pop out of the trees. And I love this time of the season being able to see flowers coming. And there's just such a season of growth happening right now. So this morning, it is my prayer. And I believe that it is the desire of God to not only look around us and see nature growing, but to see growth in our spiritual life. Amen, church. I hope that you're saying amen right now. Amen. I believe that God desires growth. There's nowhere in scripture that I read where it says, do this and you will have arrived. I don't read anywhere in scripture until we see Jesus face to face where he desires us to just hold off or we come to a point of arriving. But what I read all throughout the New Testament is Jesus is constantly teaching his disciples and those around him about growing close to the Father, about growing close to these principles. So it is my understanding that as we read these eight attitudes, they are not only eight attitudes that posture ourselves uh, to open ourselves up to the blessing of God, but it's also eight attitudes in which we are called to grow in this morning. When you and I posture ourselves in a position to receive a a, a blessing from God, what he teaches us or molds us into is far better than what we were before. I'm going to say that again. When you and I posture ourselves in a position of growth, what we grow into is far better than what we were before because we believe that God is a God of transformation. Amen, church? 
Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to be turning this morning. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and, began, and he began to teach them. He said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's open up with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we just thank you so much that once again, you don't, there, there's no end to what you can do. There's no end to what we can learn from you. There's no end to our growth in our spiritual life as we grow closer to you. God, I thank you so much that you are the God of more, that you are not the God who is searching for more. You are the God who gives more than what we could ever imagine or dream of. And so this morning, Lord Jesus, as we read these eight attitudes, Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open for the transformational work of the Holy Spirit spirit in our lives and through our lives. Have your way, Lord Jesus, in your name. And everybody said, amen. 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 I believe that Jesus is teaching us this point right up front as he begins to venture into the teaching of the Beatitudes. First, he teaches us this, that spiritual provision is more important than physical and material provision. I'm going to say that again. I just want to preface our first point this morning, that spiritual provision is more important than physical and material provision. And, and here's where we see that it, it, it come to light, come to pass, if you will, is when you and I look around in our culture, it doesn't take long to find that those who are, are wealthy, those who are typically uh, doing what we would say exceedingly more abundantly than the culture around us, those who are doing better typically are not satisfied internally. For example, I'm just kind of overwhelmed by the tragic reports that we hear about superstars, uh, different actors in our culture, different music artists, or, or, excuse me, artists throughout our culture. It doesn't take too long to, to look at the news and see a news clipping about a music artist or some kind of Hollywood star that ended up taking their life in a tragic way. And when you and I take a step back, there's so many questions that we have because how is it that these individuals had millions at their discretion that they could use however they please? How is it that these individuals had everything that we could want in our flesh, that we could want? You know, it, it just seems like the perfect story, and yet we end up hearing about how they succumbed to to drug addiction or alcohol addiction or ended up taking their life. And the list of different actors who have taken their lives or music artists in tragic ways is extensive. And I just pause and I look and I say, that right there is proof that spiritual provision will always be exceedingly more important than physical and material. And I believe that that is one of the root principles that Jesus is teaching this because he's saying be poor in spirit. He's not talking about physically being poor. He's saying poor in spirit. And we're going to open that up. Poor in spirit means this. I humbly depend on God rather than myself. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Poor in spirit means this. I humbly depend on God rather than myself. Being poor in spirit means that we have come to a decision where we recognize that we cannot provide for ourselves what God can provide for us. So I'm going to say that again. When you and I are poor in spirit, it means that we recognize our need for Jesus Christ. It means that we recognize that you and I cannot produce what God can produce in and through our lives. And you are blessed. These Often we look at these and we say, how are we blessed by being poor in spirit? You're blessed because you have come to that realization and therefore you have opened 
open yourself up to the inner working of Jesus Christ in and through your life as well as the Holy Spirit. And now what we're talking about this morning is not only recognizing the fact that we must be poor in spirit, but we're going to open that up to say, now it's time to grow in continuing to depend on God. I'm going to say that again. This morning, we're talking about posturing ourselves to continue to depend on God. Ultimately, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying being poor in spirit means that you not only come to a realization. So there's the intellectual response. Not only that you and I come to a realization, but then there's a physical response where you and I depend on Jesus. And Jesus goes on to teach. He says, you must come to this realization. You must depend on me. And in doing so, you are going to open yourself up. You're posturing yourself up to receive a blessed life. I don't know about you, but I am okay with God blessing my life. But what does it really mean to be dependent on God? You see, this teaching was groundbreaking, and I still believe that it's vital for today because during this time, in this era, in this culture, the overall message was do not be dependent on anything else. The message was to become all that you can be, to be self-empowerment. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound reflective of our culture today? I think so. I just think of so many songs where the lyrics talk about us constantly, you know, doing what we can only do and becoming our, our own kind of master, becoming our own kind of vision of wealth and happiness and constantly being dependent on ourselves. And in this groundbreaking teaching, Jesus says, the way to find yourself is to lose yourself. Jesus looks around and says, if you want to receive a blessed life, you must be poor in spirit. Culture says, be strong, show no weakness. Jesus says, recognize that you are weak without me. Culture says, all you have is yourself. You must depend on yourself. Jesus says, if you want a blessed life, depend on me. The first beatitude is this, to be poor in spirit. And it talks about coming to that realization moment, friend. But it also, there's an action that is, that is required of us. And that is to continually depend on God. And I can't help but find it a little bit humorous that Jesus deals with the two things that we don't like and that we resist in our human nature. First, coming to a realization that we have flaws. We don't like admitting that we have flaws. And secondly, depending on someone else especially in our, and, and don't, don't get it twisted, don't, don't hear me wrong, I love America, but I feel like in our American culture, my goodness, we do not like to depend on anyone or anything aside from ourselves. Come on, somebody. I know I'm not the only one. In our culture, we don't like admitting our faults. We don't like depending on anyone else. And those are the two things that Jesus is calling us to do. Admit our faults and recognize that we need him. And secondly, depend on him more than we depend ourselves. So let's unpack that a little bit. What does it look like to depend on God? Ask yourself that question. In your life right here, right now, what does it look like to depend on God more than what you already are currently? And I just want to unpack that for a moment. I've, I, I just, I can't help but once again recognize that sometimes we hear a message and our first thing that, the, the first thing that we think of is we think, oh my goodness, so-and-so should hear this message. This would benefit them. And we start thinking about how the message would benefit somebody else. Friend, I'm asking you to pause this morning and make it personal. And I want you to ask yourself, how am I doing at depending on God? Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
means blessed are those who admit that they have faults. And blessed are those who seek God for the answer to those faults. In just a moment, I want to discuss three action steps that we must do in order to say we are dependent on God. Three action steps that we must do if we want to be able to say, I depend on God, therefore I am poor in spirit. I'm asking you this morning for a self-assessment in your life. Are you and I honestly entrusting things things in our life, things that affect us emotionally, physically, whatever it may be, to God? Or are we willing to admit that we need to work in these areas of our lives so that we can receive the blessed life that you and I are called to walk in? Three actions that we must do in order to be poor in spirit and depend on God. The first is this, depend on God's wisdom more than you depend on your own. Depend on God's wisdom and not our own. I depend on God's wisdom and not my own, as described into uh, Proverbs 14, verse 12, says this, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. I want to unpack that for just a few moments. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Now, I want us to think about that for a second. There are some translations that say there is a way that appears to man to be right and ultimately leads to death. Think about the fact that there's a, decept- there's a level of deception of us deceiving ourselves that is insinuated in this scripture. There's a way that seems right to you and I. And here's the scary thing about deception. I know this might come uh, obvious to you this morning, but hear me out. The thing about deception that gets us is it is deceiving. I know that's a crazy principle, right? The thing dangerous, what is most dangerous about deception is that we are therefore deceived. Now think about how scary that is. That means that somebody could be putting all of their time, their effort, their passion into a cause, believing with all of their body, mind, and soul that it is the right way when in fact it leads to death. It bears no spiritual fruit. And I just want to reiterate this morning that, this, that there's a principle here that I want to reiterate, that those who do not know Christ are not the only ones who are open to being deceived. There are different false prophets that the church of today is warned about. Somebody's got to follow them. And I don't believe that in the various teachings that we see in Revelation or whenever Paul's telling us to be aware of false prophets, I don't think that he's talking about an audience that doesn't know Jesus. Sure, that's a part of the the, the equation, but what we see Paul teaching all throughout his various letters, the epistles, what, what we see him teaching is a church congregation to be on the lookout to not be deceived by false teachers. Deception is a dangerous thing. Especially the belief that we can make it on our own in this life. Just because we think that it feels right does not make it right. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to go back to the the point here. In order to be dependent on God, we have to depend on his wisdom, what he says, more than we depend on our own. We have to do an evaluation in that and and ask ourselves, are the things that I'm passionate about, the the things that uh, uh, take up my time, my attention, are they things that lead to spiritual fruit or are they things that take away? Don't depend on your heart 
or your gut feeling. Have you ever met somebody like that? I just felt in my heart. I just felt like I needed to, and you fill in the blank. Here's the thing about feeling our, our, our way through wisdom and guidance in life, is feelings can be deceptive. Have you ever been to a theme park, maybe uh, got on a roller coaster? I don't know. I, I, I love going to different amusement parks. I absolutely enjoy it, especially like, let's go to the biggest, uh, most terrifying ride there. I want to test it out. I want to make sure that, that you know, I, I can overcome this. It's something that I enjoy. Some of you are sitting there and you're like, uh-uh, not me. I'm the opposite. I'm like, let's test this thing out and see how quote unquote scary it is. And here's, here's what I've, I've, I've realized about amusement parks is they manipulate our emotions, don't they? Whenever you and I go on a, on a ride out I'll never forget, uh, as a youth pastor, taking different groups of students to an amusement park. It was one of the things that I enjoyed, our, our yearly trek to an amusement park over near Pittsburgh area called Kennywood. And I remember us going there, and we took this one student, uh, Luke, and Luke was absolutely terrified of roller coasters. And so I looked at him, and I said, all right, you're my riding buddy for the day. And he looked at me and his eyes got real big and he's like, "Uh uh-uh. And I'm like, yep, you're going to overcome your fear today for such a time as this, Luke. Come on, get on the ride. And so he and I go, and I have a sixth sense of humor. So of course I took him to the most terrifying one there first. And so we go there and we get on this ride and I'll never forget him screaming as we swayed left and right. I'm going to die. And I remember hearing him absolutely screaming. I remember seeing his arms and his legs flailing next to me. I can barely breathe because I'm crying. I'm laughing so hard at this kid losing his mind. You see, Luke was deceived into thinking that that was the day that he was going to see Jesus. You and I are often deceived by our emotions, by our fears. How many of you know that most of the time what we're afraid of doesn't even happen? When you and I base our wisdom, our decisions, our outlook on life off of, well, I had a gut feeling, friend, that's not enough. Emotions will change. God's truth won't. Our gut feelings will change. God's truth won't. So if you and I want to say we are dependent on God, we must trust in his wisdom. What he says is just is right more than what we feel think, or our emotional state says. Here's kind of a measure if you and I are are seeking God's wisdom throughout the day. Are you and I talking to God throughout the day? Before we go into a, a meeting or a difficult situation, even into work, when you and I pull in to the parking lot, are we saying, okay, God, I'm leaning on you. I'm trusting on you. If you and I are not having those ongoing prayer moments or those ongoing uh, conversations throughout the day, then I would say, friend, you and I probably need to grow in trusting in God's wisdom more than we trust in our own. And here's the thing is you and I aren't always going to like God's, God's way of doing things. I mean, hello, Jonah. <laughs> Do you really think that Jonah... What it, knowing what he knew after he got swallowed by a big old fish, big old whale, that he would have said, yeah, I prefer that method, Lord. I don't think so. You and I are not always going to like the way that God does things, but it's not a matter of if we agree with him or not. It's a matter of if we will trust him 
with the understanding that his process will ultimately be the most beneficial in our lives. If you and I aren't having those constant conversations where we're saying, God, help me be the leader in my home. Help me be the leader in a relationship, whether it's friendship or a more intimate relationship. If you and I are having those pauses, those conversations where we're asking him, God, is this what you want for my life? If you and I aren't constantly calling into question different things that have influence in our life, then friend, I would say that we have a mandate to grow in learning to depend on God's wisdom more than we depend on our own. In order to be poor in spirit and recognize that I must depend on God, I must depend on his wisdom over my own. The second action step that we need to take in order to say we are poor in spirit, we depend on God, is depend on God's strength and power and not my own. Depend on God's strength and power and not my own. You see, when you and I depend on God's strength and power, we're not, we're, we're not just saying this. We're, I don't just depend on God's wisdom to do the right thing. I also depend on his power in order to do the right thing. Once again, when you and I are saying, God, I, I'm going to, to submit to your strength in this moment, trusting that you will get me through it, we're not only recognizing the right way of doing things, God's wisdom, but we're saying, I trust to your strength, Lord Jesus, in order to help me abide in the wisdom that you provide. When you and I depend on God's strength, we set and, and position ourselves in such a way to receive his blessing, to receive wisdom. But friend, here's the thing is you and I, when you and I constantly take the high road, it gets tiring. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. I, I hope that I'm not the only one who gets tired. When you and I are constantly taking the high road, doing the right thing, it gets tiring, doesn't it? Everything in our flesh wants to do the opposite. Everything in our, our own human nature wants to be able to say, you know what, I want to get even with that person. I want to speak freely. I want to have, my goodness, political stances without being thrown into the fire. Do you know how many times this week I have ended up slamming my laptop shut and putting it down on the kitchen table or wherever I may have been in order to say, I'm taking the high road. Every time I see a political post, I look at my wife and I'm like, honey, I'm going into battle. Every time I see somebody uh, post something that doesn't represent a biblical value, there's something that wells up inside of me, a discontentment where I'm like, oh, it's go time. I want to take the low road. Everything in me struggles when I am faced with two, when I am faced at a crossroads to go left and take the high road or to go right and take the low road. My flesh is in conflict. That's when I need God's strength. We cannot live according to God's word righteously on our own power. I'm going to say that one more time. You and I cannot live the way that God has called us to live by our own will, by our own power. Because friend, here's what happens. You and I are constantly taking the low road. You can do it for a little while on your own accordance, on your own power. I'll give you that. You can do that for a while, but eventually you're going to get burnt out. And here's what ends up happening. You and I are trying to do the right thing always on our own power rather than stopping and saying, God, help me with this. And here's the thing. When you and I surrender ourselves and say, God, help me, here's the beautiful thing. He does. And so what ends up happening is you and I continually do the right thing, the right thing on our own power. We get burned out. We eventually succumb to satisfying the flesh, and then we have lifelong scars that we have to live with. 
because we didn't pause and say, God, help me. We didn't pause and say, Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak. And as a result of getting burnout, out, you and I will inevitably make a mistake, damage a relationship, say something to a spouse that we didn't need to say or mean to say, say something to our kid, what, kids that ends up uh, steering them in a direction of life, giving them these preconceived thoughts as they grow older. You and I, friend, there is a cost to taking the low road. And you and I are called to live by this biblical standard, this higher standard. And in order to live according to a higher standard, we need a higher power. I'm going to say that one more time. In order to live according to a higher standard, you and I need a higher power. You and I need the Holy Spirit empowerment daily. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. We need the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Not trusting in yourself to do what is right, but saying, God, I'm doing this because of your word. Would you help me? And the beautiful thing in doing that is, I, friend, I promise you, God will always say yes. When you and I ask him for strength, I promise you, he'll give you strength. Why? Because even Isaiah realized that. That when you and I put our hope and our trust in him, he gives us strength. In order for us to be poor in spirit and depend on God, we must depend on God's timing. We touched on this a little bit last week. In order for you and I to be poor in spirit and dependent on God, we must depend on God's timing. Here's the deal. God takes us through seasons. Obviously, we're in a season of spring right now. We're in a season of growth. I will forever say that this is one of those underestimated uh, uh, Christian things, Christian statements that we say without thinking about the depth of what we're saying. Well, we all go through seasons. No, 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 friend. You see, when we say it with a smile, it kind of is like, hey, seasons that God leads us through are great. Do you really think that the Israelites, when they were being led around the wilderness, were saying, this is just a season, this is great? No, when God takes us through season, sometimes it's that it's like the potter who's molding the clay, breaking it down, rebuilding it. That's a difficult process. Now, sure, in the end, it's going to be worth it. But when you're going through the process and not able to see the end result, it's tough. And I'll never forget being in one of the most spiritually draining times of my life. And ironically, this is when I was studying the Bible the most. My freshman and sophomore year of college was one of the most difficult times in my life. You want to talk about, not, like, I was dependent on feelings. I wanted to feel God's presence, and I just didn't. And I remember, I, I, I was so... I was so confused because I'm, I'm sitting there in my dorm room and I'm, I'm taking tests that are based on the Bible. I'm taking classes that are based on books of the Bible. I'm going through all of this studying. I'm studying Greek and Hebrew, the original languages of the Bible, and I'm learning so much about how, uh, uh, how limited we are in our English language and how the Greek and Hebrew, especially Greek, opens up just, I mean, you see through this new lens, the scriptures, because my 
my goodness, I mean, in Greek, they have four different meanings for the word love. In English, we just say it, love. And I'm learning all of these incredible things about the Bible and these new depths. And yet I felt nothing and I was spiritually drained and I was tired of taking the high road. And I was having these relationships in my life that were kind of just constant conflict. And then I would go to work, which was like a battleground. And I remember being surrounded by just all of this, this negativity and evil and come to the realization that God has called me to be an influence on the workplace, but it wasn't easy. And I was going through this season and I kept pausing and saying, God, what does any of this mean? What does this mean? I remember years later going through a difficult situation, very much similar to the one in college. And I began to experience an this whole new level of disappointment when my wife and I were, were trying to conceive and we couldn't. Constantly asking, you know, God, wait, we just want kids. And, and Lord, you said be fruitful and, and this doesn't make sense. And going through this year process of asking questions such as, God, I, I know we're supposed to trust in your timing, but this season does not make sense. Spiritually drained, tired, longing to bear children and not being able to and constantly met with disappointment and just feeling empty. And I'll never forget a mentor in my life coming along and he said, Donnie, everybody loves the view of being on top of the mountain, but the water is down in the valley. And I remember pausing and starting to understand what he was saying. You see, friends, I was going through the valley. And in the valley is where you get nutrition. In the valley is where you get fed. In the valley is where things grow along a creekside bed. In the valley is where you find water that sustains you. When you're on top of the mountain, you don't have that. It's a beautiful view. It's great to look at. When you and I are going through good seasons, it's great to look at, right? It's great to stand back and say, man, this is awesome. And I'm so thankful for the, the, the blessed seasons that we do experience. But friend, here's the reality is when you and I go through difficult times, it's when we learn the most. When you and I go through difficult times, it's often where we position ourselves in moments to receive revelation from God, where we have an altar encounter or a prayer encounter, or even driving to work where we hear that still small voice of God and we're able to look back. And when somebody's going through a difficult season, come alongside them and say, friend, I know. I can say from personal experience, I understand. And I'm able to say from personal experience, that God is faithful. I'll tell you this, that after going through this year-long process of trying to conceive, it meant that much more when we saw the faithfulness of God. Whenever we went to a doctor's appointment, we was able to see movement on that screen. We must depend on God's timing. In order for you and I to say, I'm poor in spirit, means that I depend on God. In order for, you us to, for us to say, I depend on God, we have to trust in his timing. Not our own, not trying to make it happen. Sometimes we fall into this misbelief that we can demand things of God. And what we do is we, we demand something of God and say, I'm just believing him for it. God, you do this. That's just not the way God works. God is not this fairy godmother who says, name it and claim it. 
But God is the God who takes us through a process that we learn to trust in him. And as a result of going through that process, we're able to come out of it with a testimony of his faithfulness. And we learn what it's like to trust and have God provide in our time of need. As we talked about Last week, the Israelites go through this process, and it's so funny to read different scriptures in the book of Exodus because the the scriptures prior to the one that I'm about to reference, they're blaming Moses, saying, you brought us out into this desert to kill us. Why did you bring us here? And they're constantly complaining, and then you finish the, the, the rest of the book of Exodus, and at the end, it says that they're giving so many free will offerings, meaning just out of their hearts. They're giving so many free will offerings that they had to stop them because they were overflowing. What happened to get those? responses. What happened to the Israelites to go from God, we're out here to die, to God, I'm going to give you so many free will offerings that you're going to, the the, the people in charge are going to have to tell me to stop. What happened? A process took place. God's timing took place. Friend, if you're going through a season today, I want to give you encouragement that God knows what he's doing. I'd say this with compassion and understanding that it's difficult and I understand that, but keep trusting in him because his process leads to places that we never could have gone on our own, realizations that we never could have provided on our own, revelation moments that we never could have provided on our own, a closeness to Jesus that we never would have felt had it not been for our hearts crying out and saying, God, I've come to the end of all that I can handle, and now I look to you for your strength, I look to you for your wisdom, I look to you for your timing, and friend, it will provide you with a closeness in relationship to Jesus Christ and spiritual fruit that you never could have imagined. If you're going through a season today, I want to encourage you, keep on moving forward. Keep on trusting him because if God brought you to it, then friend, he will bring you through it. We must depend on God's timing. You want to be poor in spirit? You want to learn what it's like to depend on God and have him come through? Trust in his timing. As we close this morning, I want us to do a little bit of a self-assessment. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is a little bit different than our typical mode, but I'm going to ask you to take an action step right here, right now. Here's what I'm asking you. Would you get out either your mobile device, a notepad, or a piece of paper? If you're watching this on a laptop, then you could maybe bring up a document. But in just a moment, I'm going to ask us to to take a self-assessment because here's the reality. And I'll just talk for a minute while you go and get those things. Get something to write on. If you don't have anything to write on, maybe your mobile device, just typing something in on your mobile device will do. As the church, we need to get comfortable with admitting that we have struggles. I'm, I'm done with a church that says I have no flaws because I've learned that my generation won't put up with that. And I know that because I heard it one time in, a, in what's called a spoken word. It's kind of like a rap without any, any music going on. It's, it's almost like a, a sermon that rhymes. And I remember hearing this individual say this, and he said it with so much angst, so much passion, so much almost aggression, where he said, and the church is not a museum for the righteous, it's a hospital for the broken. And I looked at him and I 
thought, my God, that's the voice of a frustrated generation. He said, in the church is not a museum for the righteous. It is a hospital for the broken. And here's what I realize about hospitals. In order for you and I to go to one, we have to admit that we need one. The days of coming together as a church and and expressing to the community around us that we are just kind of, I'm okay, I have it all together. Those days are gone. The reality is you and I have faults and we have to be willing to say, I need a savior. We lose our testimony whenever we say I'm above it all. We lose our testimony when we say I have it all together. We lose our testimony whenever we look to the world around us and we say, this is our church, this is where we gather. Look at us. But we gain a testimony when we look to the world around us and say, do you know why I go to church? Because other people who have flaws just like me meet together. We gain a testimony when we say, you know what? Our church isn't perfect and I thank God for it because we're not religious. Religious says, let's, let's gather together and show the world how awesome we are. Relationship says, let's gather together in our brokenness and seek the one who heals. Here's the reality, friend. I want us to be honest this morning. Are we really depending on God's timing or are we trying to make it happen? Are we really trusting in God's wisdom? Can I be honest with you as a pastor this morning? There are things in the Bible that break my heart that I don't understand. I read stories in the Old Testament and I sit back and I just say, God, I don't understand it, but I know you're sovereign. There are some standards that I read in the Bible and I go, God, that is a very difficult standard, but I know that your Holy Spirit will empower me to live in such a way. We're not called necessarily to always sit back and say, I agree with this, I disagree with this in the Bible, so I'm going to obey this, disagree with this, not going to obey that. You and I are called once we come to this relationship to say, you know what, God, your will, not mine. So how are we doing this morning with wisdom? How are you honestly doing with strength? Friend, are, are you at that place where you say, Pastor Donnie, I'm just tired. I'm worn down. time for you to experience what it's like to come to the end of your rope and say, God, I need your strength. So with your mobile device or a piece of paper, something to write on, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Write down the three actions that we talked about this morning. Wisdom, strength, and time. Say that one more time. Write down the three action steps, three categories. Wisdom, strength, and time. And here's the next step that I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to grade how you are depending on God for each one of those things next to it on a scale of one to 10. Once again, I want you to grade yourself on a scale of one to 10. How well are you at depending on God in each one of those categories? A scale of one to ten, one being pastor, I this is I, I've been trusting in my wisdom one hundred percent. 
10, which says, I completely 100% trust. And I just want to say this morning, if you grade yourself as a 10, you can add a fourth category called humility. And I want you to grade yourself on that one. I say that with love. I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Praise God. Three categories. Wisdom, strength, and time. Grade yourself in each one of those areas on a scale of one to 10 on how well you are depending on God for each one of those things. Because friend, as we close this morning, here's my point. We don't have it all together. None of us are going to be able to grade ourselves as a 10 in each one of these categories. I'm telling you now. And if you are, there's some things that we got to pray about. We have flaws. We have struggles. We have growing that needs to happen. And the reason why I want us to do this self-assessment is because it'll give us a clearer picture on what we need to focus on for the next couple days until we meet here again next week for our next sermon. What we need to be conscious of because, friend, we started this sermon out talking about how poor in spirit means that you came to a realization that you need Jesus. The reason why we're doing this self-assessment, and it is my prayer as the Holy Spirit just impresses upon your heart, that you are currently coming to another realization moment that I need to depend on God in deeper ways. I need to depend on God and His wisdom. I need to depend on God with his, Him providing strength. I need to depend on God in his process and timing of doing things. And as we do this, as you and I come to the realization that we need more of God, more dependence on God in one of these three areas, here's what's happening, friend, and I'm so happy to share this with you. As you and I come to those realizations What's taking place is an emptying of self so that you can be filled with him. When you and I come to those realization moments, we are coming to the realization that we need more of him and what is happening is an emptying of self takes place and a filling of him in and through your life happens. And there must be emptying of self in order for there to be filling of him. So I ask you that for the next couple days, continue to be mindful of this grading scale on a scale of one to 10, wisdom, strength, and timing. How well are you doing in those areas? And here's what's going to happen is you're going to come to a realization that I need to work in one of these areas. And I'm going to ask that you focus your attention, your time, your passion, your devotions on allowing God to work in that area of your life. This isn't the kind of sermon where we can walk away and say, okay, one step, we're good. Let's go out. We're, we're, let's, let's reach the world. Pastor, this is one of those sermons. It's going to take time. And it's going to take process, his process. Would you bow your heads with me? 
Father, once again, I thank you so much for providing revelation moments in our lives where we come to a realization that we need to grow in one of these areas that you're calling us to a higher standard that we can only live on. We can only live at that higher standard if we have your empowerment. So Lord, I pray that as the body of Christ who's tuned in right now to our live stream, Lord, I pray that as they begin to grade themselves, Lord, that they would experience such a filling of you such an overflow of you, whether it be in, their, in, in the wisdom portion where they, we need to trust on your wisdom, whether it be in the strength, somebody who just feels weak and tired because they've been living out of accordance to their own power. And now, Lord, I pray that they would experience an empowerment through your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that there would just be such, once again, realization that we need to trust in your timing. And I pray over individuals who maybe fit in that category. They're coming to the realization that they've been trying to make things happen, that they've been trying to force things happen to, to happen. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would learn to entrust into your hands and say, God, I may not understand it, but I know that what you have is better than anything I could ever do. I know that what you produce out of seasons that are difficult is better than anything I could produce on my own. Lord, help us as the church to not look like the Pharisees, but help us as a church to look like the disciples who messed up, who fell short, and still got up and entrusted you, realizing that you love them the same. And they learned from you and they moved forward. Now, Jesus, I pray that this virus that has taken up way too much time would be eradicated in Jesus' name. I pray that our nation would turn to you in our time of need. I pray for unity, Lord Jesus, not just in your church, but in the world around us and help us as the church to represent what it is to be united. Now, Lord, I pray your anointing upon every viewer, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would give them your wisdom, that you would give them your strength, and that they would learn to trust in your timing. Now, Lord, would you go with us, lead us, guide us, shake us, break us, mold us, whatever you wanna do, May it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this morning's online stream. God bless you. I cannot wait to see you walk through these church doors so that we can meet again. In the meantime, I want to challenge you to continue to focus on one of these areas. However you graded yourself, I hope that it's providing a realization moment that we have work to do. We are not all perfect, but we've got work to do and growing closer to him. Can't wait to see you uh, in person, but until that time, I'll see you back this Wednesday for our weekly devotional. God bless you. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you. 